That was fun. Good job, Rob. Hey, a couple things. One, uh, there are seasons to ministry that we get to experience together when uh, Rob was talking about us being family. And this morning we have some friends that this is their last Sunday with us. Howard and Teresa Ronkin, would you stand up and let's give them a hand. They are our beloved friends. They have been tied in and done all kinds of stuff. And uh, they are heading to Idaho, okay, down in the Boise area. And they are going to be leaving this week, right? So they, uh, the Lord is taking them in a new direction. So I just wanted to have them stand up and you can hug on them on the way out. Thank you, guys. You can sit down and, uh, and do that. Second thing is... Uh, I don't know if you followed the wildfires in California, but they're pretty bad, right? 50,000 homes just told, just go, get out. Okay, so if the winds stop, it probably won't be that bad, but uh, it's got the potential to be a disaster. So we're concerned about that. And then uh, as we come again, as Rob said, we want to invite you back tonight, celebrate. It'll be a lot of fun. Um, And one of the things that I need your help with is uh, you could help us. So many of you have started giving, which is really cool. And uh, you've just started, um, but you haven't filled out a card, right? So Diana has no idea how to track that. So we don't have any idea how to put a total up. So if you could just help us, there's cards on it. Would you just fill out a card and drop it in the offering box so that we can kind of tally that up? That would be really helpful for tonight. So I'm going to thank you for doing that ahead of time. All right. So this morning we're to take a break from our series on the Gospel of Mark. We'll come back to it uh, next Sunday. But this morning we're going to focus instead on 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verses 1 through 5. Uh, if you're new or if you're, if you're visiting this morning, you may be wondering what all the excitement about is about. Well, the excitement is this is our 20th anniversary as a church. And we've had a lot of fun this year uh, celebrating that. Some of the highlights were... Um, on August 25th, we did the celebration in the park and we just had a big family reunion and it was a fantastic day together. And then on September 29th, we celebrated a family meal here at that juncture. We were 20 years and three days old, all right? So we've actually crossed the 20-year the barrier and, and we're there. And so that was fun. And then uh, Friday night, this just past Friday night, we held a night of worship and it, it was gorgeous. If you were here, we're going to do more of those. Man, that that had something to it, and it was really, really special. So so that, that's that been uh, really good stuff leading up to this. And then tonight we're going to be gathering to celebrate our commitment to Move the Mountain, which is our capital campaign to speed ahead our future and the, and the gospel in the area. And so you've, if you're new or visiting, you've come at a really important time in the life of our church. Uh, just over a year ago, uh, about a year and two months ago, I was uh, looking for some inspiration. You know how you kind of hunt around and kind of trying to find something that puts words to it. I was looking, uh, if you will, for a, a thought or an idea that would capture our minds and hearts and, and actually inspire us to keep stepping in faith and, and believing that God can and will work some miraculous events for the praise and glory of His name here in Mill Creek. And sometimes we can, that can get old or we can forget about that. And this passage in Second Thessalonians caught my attention. And so I ran it by our elder board uh, at the retreat last year, and the response was incredibly favorable. They said, wow, that's, that's, um, that's incredible. That's impressive. And, and then I, based off that response, we moved forward with a faith, uh, the idea of accelerating the Move the Mountain campaign 
that, that we talked about, and it found favor with the congregation. And the target that's found in 2 Thessalonians 3 is that the, and the key phrase here is that the gospel would speed ahead and be honored. Those two components, speed ahead, gain ground, in other words, and then be honored. Uh, we took that verse and made it our theme verse for the campaign for, for Move the Mountain. So let's begin with a little introduction of the books of uh, Thessalonians, of which there's two. So there's First and Second Thessalonians. And just a little backstory why these books are special to me. My first Bible study that I ever attended, and I won't tell you what year that was, all right? But uh, it, it, was in, it was on the, the book of Revelation. And I had never been in a Bible study before. I had never heard of the book of Revelation. I didn't know anything about it. I walked in. And they're using all these weird names for these other books. And one of the books that they talked about was this uh, Thessalonian thing. And I, I had no idea what a Thessalonian was. Okay, I, I thought, is that an actual word? And... Later, I learned that a Thessalonian was a person who lived in the town of Thessalonica, which is an ancient city in Greece. And, uh, and so I was just like, wow, you know, that's, that's pretty incredible. Uh, just to get an idea of where we're at with this, let's take a look at a map because this all happens during Paul's second missionary journey. So there are three missionary journeys that Paul was on. This is the second one. And you can see the path. And basically, if you start in Jerusalem and then he goes up to Antioch and then Tarsus and then you see Derby, Lystra, Iconium, Antioch and then he cuts across. And the reason he cut across to Troas is that he wanted to go north but the Holy Spirit wouldn't let him go north into what was then called Bithynia or south into what was then called Asia. Isn't that amazing? That was Asia. We think of Asia as being way more east than that today. But when he was in Troas, uh, he had a dream, a vision that night, and there was a man over on the other side of the water, over on Macedonia, uh, calling out in the dream to him and asking for help to come and bring the gospel there. And so Paul determined that was the the Lord talking to him. And so they, they set sail. They go west. He lands in Neapolis. You can see it up on the map there. Then on to Philippi. Philippi is pretty famous. Philippi is where... Uh, he preached the gospel, and then he and Silas wound up in jail. They were beaten for the gospel. That's when they were singing hymns. Remember at midnight, and the earthquake happened, and all the jail cells were open, and the jailer, thinking that all the prisoners had escaped, knew that would cost him his life, so he was going to fall on his own sword. And Paul says, no, no, it's all cool, we're here. And, and then later, the jailer and his entire family came to know Christ. So a pretty famous event there in terms of the New Testament, what was going on that the Lord was doing at the time. Leaving there, they head west through several towns and they arrive at Thessalonica, right? <clears throat> which is about 100 miles west of there. So just to give you some, some distance there. Paul preaches the gospel there and a church begins. So it's pretty exciting, but all is not well. The Jews become jealous. They form a crowd, a riot breaks out. All H-E double toothpicks breaks out, right? And, um, <clears throat> and so... Paul is shipped uh, with urgency out of town and they end up 50 miles west in this town called Berea. The Bereans, uh, Scripture says, were more noble. They studied it closer. They had a great response. And so again, uh, Paul preaches, a church is formed, 
and things are going really well as far as the gospel is concerned. Until the opposition from Thessalonica comes pouring back in. So they're mad. They're ticked that Paul's continuing this. They come from Thessalonica, which is 50 miles away. So this intent and purpose. You don't walk 50 miles just to walk 50 miles. So they're, they're trucking it. They're serious. Paul's rushed out of town uh, and shipped to Athens and then goes on to Corinth. Timothy and Silas stay behind to help the church and then later join Paul. And it's from uh, Corinth that Paul writes both 1st and 2nd Thessalonians. Right? That's where the book we're going to work out of. So for our purposes this morning, we're going to work from this passage out of 2nd Thessalonians. And it reads like this. It says, Finally, brothers, pray for us that the word of the Lord may speed ahead and be honored, as has happened among you, and that we may be delivered from wicked and evil men. For not all have faith. But the Lord is faithful, and he will establish you and guard you against the evil one. And we have confidence in the Lord about you, that you are doing and will do the things that we command. And may the Lord direct your hearts to the love of God and to the steadfastness of Christ. We're going to look at this today. Let's pray before we go into that. Father, we bow our heads, we close our eyes, we bow our hearts inside because we honor you as the great king. And we're here this morning looking at a passage that was written 2,000 years ago in some circumstances that are amazingly similar to what we're going through today. And Lord, we pray you peel out of this passage a meaning And we pray that you would speak to us. We pray that we would hear from you. We pray that you would encourage us to be steadfast. And we ask for your help in this and give this to you in your name. Amen. All right. So we're going to pull this apart and we're just going to take the phrases one bit at a time here this morning. So finally, brothers, pray for us. Paul is asking. Okay, He has been writing to the Thessalonians. He says, by the way, Pray for us because it's been hard on this end too that the word of the Lord may speed ahead and be honored as has happened among you. Now I find this verse fascinating. I don't know if you do, but I do. From, and I find it fascinating because from the context that I just described to us, uh, the context in Thessalonica, Thessalonica was not exactly what you would describe as fertile soil for the gospel to speed ahead. It was hard, okay? It was hard soil, difficult soil, contentious soil. Paul's life was in danger and literally he had gotten run out of town, right? And this is exactly what gave me hope for our situation here at Northview. You're going, well, how's that? You're kind of weird. I'm going, no, track with me here. Mill Creek is not exactly what you would call a gospel-friendly environment. Anybody notice that lately? Right? People are not flocking to find out what great truths they are missing on Sunday. Right? Look at the empty chairs around you. It's not exactly a hotbed of revival at this point. It is like pounding on concrete to try and find opportunities to share Jesus' love with people. I don't know if you've tried. I've tried. Uh, It often goes, right? And yet Paul was praying that the gospel would speed ahead and be honored even in that environment. Another translation has that it 
has speed ahead as run swiftly. And the idea there is that the gospel would run to people with urgency. Or the flip idea, that people would run to it with urgency. It's been a long time since we've seen, it's not been since the Jesus revolution, that we've seen people run to the gospel with urgency. I was talking at Men's Retreat about the Jesus revolution, and three quarters of them looked at me with a blank like, what's that? Never heard of it. I was like, oh my gosh. I I realized how whitewashed that has been in our culture that uh, people haven't even heard of it. But it literally saved our country. And it was a time when people ran to the gospel with urgency. And the idea here of being honored, that the gospel would be honored, I think that's one of the things that's hardest for us as, as you go through. I think probably hurts your heart and kind of gets you depressed and down thinking about the gospel half the time is just that God would be treated the way he should be treated, right? And when you just keep watching stuff, bash him, you're like, ah, man, that's hard. And this idea of being honored is the idea of holding in high esteem. Uh, Some other ways we'd say it would be to held up as what's important or what's real, what's what's necessary, um, what is valuable, or maybe even a better word, what's treasured. Right? Think of what people treasure in their hearts in our country today. <clears throat> Very seldom is it God or his gospel. And so the idea here is that the gospel would be treasured. And here's the kicker that Paul says, uh, as it has happened among you. He's talking to the Thessalonian church and he says, remember how God worked. Remember what God did among you. Remember how it popped out. Remember that and and keep leaning into that. What Paul's saying is that despite all the difficulties that they encountered, and they encountered a ton of it, and so did Paul and the teams that were trying to help him, the gospel had spread in Thessalonica. It had made an impact. There was an anchored, Jesus-believing, Jesus-honoring church there that stood in spite of the opposition and the difficulty. Just like us here in Mill Creek. So the thought that captured me and compelled me was that this verse is a great encouragement for us today. In spite of everything, that we should continue to step out in faith despite what we perceive to be as opposition or resistance or hardness of heart or even indifference. And to believe by faith that God will honor it and speed ahead the gospel. And to believe that the gospel will be honored and treasured in Mill Creek. Wouldn't that be an amazing day when you could walk around in the grocery stores and hear Jesus' name and it wasn't a cuss word? It was shocking to go down to Texas and listen to the openness with which people could talk about Jesus. It was actually startling. And I said to one guy, I said, man, I'll tell you what, I live in a part of the country, you could not do that. And, and they were like, really? It, it was just foreign to them. But wouldn't that be something? Now, it's not the easiest thing to do to imagine that. Why? Because points, Paul points out very clearly and had just personally experienced that there were people who opposed the gospel. There were people who were not for that idea. Having just been through several rounds of this, he could speak from personal experience, as could the Thessalonians. Look at what he says next. 
and that we may be delivered from wicked and evil men, for not all have faith. There were, and we could say equally, and are, uh, people who are very intent on stopping the gospel. There are people who want to shut it down. Uh, Paul knew. Uh, he knew in Thessalonica and then Berea, one of the reasons they had to put him on a boat and ship him to Athens is he was skipping out in danger of death, right? They, his life was in danger. And so this wasn't an um, uh, idea that he was just conjuring up. This was actual reality for him. Likewise for us today, there are people who would like nothing more than for us to go away or at least be quiet, right? Just shh, they'd like to hush us. Just shh, stop. So then, if people wish we'd just be quiet and go away, and if it's obvious that we are not filled to capacity on any given Sunday, why take a step of faith to move ahead? Right? It seems rather counterintuitive. And in my mind, it's this simple. Here's my thinking. Track with me. See what you think. But this is my thoughts. This is as clear a picture you're going to get of my heart as I can give. It's not about what people think, but rather it's about what God thinks. That's what came to me as I wrestled through this passage. See, it's, it's God we're counting on, not the culture. We're asking God to do something not the culture. It's God we're looking to, not to please people, but rather to please Him. We don't ask what's going to please Mill Creek, we ask what would please Jesus. Obedience and faith rarely have to do with what the people around us think or are doing, but rather being keenly tuned to His will for us. And that the gospel would speed ahead and be honored certainly falls within His expressed will and heart for people, right? It's everywhere. It's scattered throughout the Bible. You cannot get away from it in the New Testament. The Gospels are chuck full of it. The epistles pound it. it that is the whole thrust of what God's after, is that uh, the Gospel would speed ahead and be honored. So there's opposition today like Paul's day, but like in Paul's day, there's also help. Let's look at the next verse. But the Lord is faithful. Amen? He will establish you and guard you against the evil one. We know that it's not the people who are the enemy. Okay? They're not the enemy. There's a real enemy who's blinded and deceived people, but that doesn't mean they're the enemy. They may appear, they may sound, they may look like the enemy, but they are not. And Paul wanted the Thessalonians to know that they weren't left alone that they weren't abandoned, that Jesus is always faithful, that he would stabilize them, that he would solidify them, that he would guard them. This is very important assurance that Paul's giving here. Why? Because Paul wasn't there anymore to protect them. Right? Think if you were the Thessalonian church. Right? It could have gone this way. Right? The seat was pretty hot. Thanks, Paul. Thanks for setting this whole thing up and now you duck out of town and left us holding the bag? Sweet. Nice job, buddy. Great. How in the world are we supposed to survive this now? We have no idea what to do. And Paul's answer, and it is the exact same answer we've been giving all the time here, has always been 
to point them back to Jesus. Look, keep your eyes on Jesus. You know that old, old hymn, Turn Your Eyes Upon Jesus? Look full in His wonderful face, and what? The things of this earth will grow strangely dim in the light of His glory and grace. That, that's going to be stuck in your head all day now, good. Okay? See, what Paul was saying is, remember who saved you. He said, I didn't save you. It wasn't, it was Jesus, not I, Paul. He's the one who established you. He's the one who grounded you. He's the one who did the work. I was just the messenger. Don't amp on me. I got taken out. I'm over here. I'm writing you. Stay encouraged. Keep your eyes on him. He is your strong foundation, not me. He, Jesus, was their strong guardian. And likewise for us, we're looking for what God would have us do by faith. What do we have to do to do that? Keep our eyes on him both individually, as families, as teams, as a church. And again, He's our protection against the evil one. And as long as we stay under His propitiation, there's that big word. You know what that basically means? Umbrella. Okay? That's a very fancy theological word that means a covering. Or we in the Northwest would understand it as an umbrella. Right? In the Northwest, if it's pounding rain and you've got a good umbrella, you're fine. Right? Umbrellas have saved multiple lives of parents during soccer season and football season. <laughs> They're a very valuable instrument. All right? And so staying under his covering, we are safe. And then Paul goes into some strong encouragement here. He says, and we have confidence. He says, we have confidence in the Lord about you that you are doing and will do the things that we command. Many people, you know, when you think of the Apostle Paul, many, there's a lot of pictures of him, right? He's, they kind of think of him as this kind of hardwad theologian guy, right? Just boom, belting out truth out there. And he's kind of a rebuker and a striver, and he's a defender of the truth type person. And, you know, great for the gospel. Probably wouldn't want him as your friend, but otherwise he's great and glad God used him because I wouldn't want to be with him kind of guy. But do you know one of his greatest qualities was? It's, it's so easy to skip by it it's, uh, because the stereotype of the picture, you almost miss it. But he was a tremendous encourager. Paul knew how to encourage people in very difficult circumstances. Having been through many of them himself, he knew how to comfort others who were going through similar difficulties. And I believe his, when he's saying, I believe in you. I trust that you're following through on all the things that we taught you while we were there. I know your spirit. I know your heart. I know you. And you're, you're tracking. You're staying obedient. And I'm really proud of you. Likewise, I was thinking through our history. Uh, we've always done face steps well. From the very beginning. From the time, I'm looking at Matthew and Amy right now, and they're thinking, from the time this place was launched, John Templin's right behind him, Stephen Janelle. I'm, I'm looking at those of you who launched it, right? That was a really well done faith step. And as I look back over um, how miraculously God has worked through us in, in all the different campaigns and in, in the different seasons of ministry, the stuff, just start going through your own head. I, I came away really impressed and grateful um, through the whole thing that um, 
we've always done these faith steps well. We, we have been led into them by the Holy Spirit, and we have leaned in well. And I think it's going to be the same with this campaign. I think the timing was right. It's among us. God's breathing it, and we're on board. And it's like exciting. Again, this is not a works thing. This isn't a pull up your bootstraps, try harder. This is a faith thing. Why, why are we taking this step? Why stretch further? Let's, let's answer that question this morning. It is with the hope that God will speed ahead and honor the gospel. That's the bottom line right there. This is not about us. This is not about Northview. This is about there are thousands and thousands. you realize as you sit here within a two-mile square radius, there are 50,000 homes, many of which used to go to church. There's a burnout rate. There is a hurt rate. There is a debris field the size of China in this community. Do you know how many church plants started in this community that died? I know of at least 12. And I know some of the guys who tried them. I'm still friends with them. This has not been the greenest field. But it's a faith step. We hope that God will speed ahead and honor the gospel. It is God who will do the work. We just have to be ready for when he does the work. And this capital campaign is so that we can be positioned well when he decides it's time to do a work in Mill Creek. This isn't about how much we can raise in the next two years. This is about what opportunities will God provide over the next two years that we can cooperate in faith with to see our faith and trust in him grow. Uh, By the way, we're going to have some stories tonight just of people who saw stuff happen when they made commitments and had no way to do anything and they saw it play out. Again, and this cannot be emphasized enough, not everybody can give the same amount. We have no expectations of that. You need to know that. Some of us can't even give a plug nickel right now. You're sitting there going, oh, please don't talk about money. I got nothing. And I just want to let you know, you don't need to feel guilty about that at all. Why? Because your job is to pray over the next two years. God, I have nothing. I can't give a nickel. I don't want anybody. I'm embarrassed. No, no. God, I have two years to see you do something miraculous that I can give in a way I never thought I could give. We have stories like that by the bushel basket in this group right here. Here's how it'll go. You guys have been over this. We know, right? We have two years. It doesn't all have to come in today. Now, if somebody wants to pay it off tonight, (laughs) bango. Bless you. But it doesn't all have to come in today. What, What could God do through this entire body in the next two years? Think about that. That's a fresh place to start. That's a great way to kick off the next 20 years. That's a great way to say what might happen that has never happened before in this church. Too often we get, well, that's it, it's done. It is not done. Jesus isn't done. What could God do through this entire body in the next two years? Here's how it'll go. Some will give steady. Some will give occasionally. Some will give one-time gifts. Right? But together, it all adds up. 
Not everybody can give the same amount, but everybody can be sacrificial. I'm not asking you to do what the person next to you can do. Right? You probably are thinking of some people who you know have more money and you can think, man, I can't match that. That is not it at all. What has Jesus asked you to give? That would be a great thing to go home and say, Jesus, you know what? What's our target? Our family. If you're single, what's my target? If you're a student, what's, what could I hit in the net? We, by the way, we spent really solid time with both the high school and the junior high talking about how God had worked in the other campaigns and the significant things they had done to help that campaign. And we encouraged them to step into faith in two things. Number one, own it. Okay? Make this your church. Don't just let this be dad or mom's church. Make this your church where you see Jesus do something through you that you really own it. And number two, how could this help with what God might do in our area high schools and junior highs in the next couple of years? It was fun, fun to talk to him about that. Different amounts, same sacrifice. I, like Paul, have confidence in the Lord that we have done and will do the faith steps he asks us to take. That's why you're such a great group to pastor. You are a phenomenal... I brag about you everywhere I go. People grumble about their church and say, well, man, I'll tell you what, that's not my church. I love my church. They are awesome that way. And here's the last encouragement that Paul leaves. He says this, And may the Lord direct your hearts to the love of God and to the steadfastness of Christ. The goal of any and every faith step is that we should love him more. Right? This isn't about God reaching in and ripping from us resources that we want to use for ourselves and going, don't you have any fun. I'm going to steal it from you and you're going to honor me, sucker. (laughs) Okay? If you hear that voice, I guarantee you that voice is not from God and it comes from a completely different source. That is not the picture of God. God is, hey, will you walk with me? Can I stretch it? Can I show you some things you'd otherwise never seen? That's, that's the actual voice of the Lord. The goal of every and any faith step is that we would love Him more. And the goal of any and every faith step is that we would trust Him more. Okay? Yeah, it's money. Yeah, you have a limited amount. Yep, you have a job. Yep, you haven't got a raise. Yes, you didn't get that promotion. Too bad, so sad. Wah! What does that have to say about Jesus? It says then Jesus can work miraculously. Wow. Never thought of that. He will prove to be gracious. May we prove to be grateful. Right? What's one of the goals of this? To break out our hearts and become more grateful. You know, a grateful church, and I've said this thousands of times, and I'll say it till I drop. A grateful church is a healthy church. You get resentment in there. You get cynicism in there. Uh, what is bitterness, by the way? What's bitterness? Bitterness is toxic resentment. It's resentment that's gone viral, right? It's, it's metastasized. It's gratefulness is hard to hold on to unless you deliberately participate with the, the Father. Two years is not a long time, but it's also not a short time either, right? The trial that the Thessalonians were going through were not going to end in a day. Just because Paul sent this letter didn't mean it was, no, they were saying, okay, got it, we're going to have to keep leaning into this. Likewise, that's what he's saying to us today either. 
Therefore, Paul redirects their eyes back to Jesus and back to his steadfastness. And, and this is uh, really important because Jesus never asked from us anything that he hasn't done himself first. And that's why all scripture points it back to Jesus and says, follow that pattern. Follow the pattern you saw in him. Follow what he did. A good definition of steadfastness, you'll like this. This is, this is awesome. A good definition of steadfastness is patience mixed with endurance. Yeah, yeah, there's that patience thing again, huh? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Jesus is the ultimate example of steadfastness when you think about it. So to clarify again, why are we doing this? Because we want the next 20 years to be as full of faith as the first 20 years. Not that the last 20 had faith and we can all drop the ball now because it's all done. It's not done. It's not over. There's far more to accomplish now than it was when we first started. And we're more able to accomplish it now than when we first started. We want to trust God every bit as much, if not more so, for the next 20 years as we did for the first 20 years. We want to keep dreaming for the next 20 years as much, if not more so, than we did in the first 20 years. Think about the dreams that were launched in the first 20 years of this church. Man, it's, it's exciting to walk through that history and to think about it. We want to reach out more for the second 20 than we did the first 20. We have done a lot of things really well. One of the things we're weak on is evangelism. Okay? We've got to get better at that. And I'm praying and we've got people thinking and we've got to have the Lord give us a way to bust through. And that's something we could all pray about together. We want to be every bit as sacrificial, if not more so, in the second 20 as in the first 20. Right? This did not just happen. This took tremendous faith. It took tremendous sacrifice. People gave up all kinds of things, cabins and boats and vacations and all kinds of stuff, so that this would happen in the belief that God would be at work, that he would do something. And it's going to take every bit that much Again, you know, if we get this loan paid off, you want a little face stretcher, and we say, hey, we'd like to take this and the, and the second half of the building here, 5.5 million. Think that'll stretch us a little bit? <laughs> right? Yeah, how'd your pocketbook like that one? We don't have the capacity to do that, but God does, and he can do it through us if we have faith for that. Here's the point. We want to love Jesus with just as big a heart in the second 20 as we did in the first 20. And I say that with some authority. I've now known the Lord for over 40 years. I crashed and burned and boomed into the kingdom, had no idea what happened, got up, undid me, uh, flip, and I'm watching people of my generation flaking off. Okay? Many of the people of my generation were the Jesus Revolution people who came out of the drugs and stuff. And they're watching the culture. And you know what they're doing? They're turning back to marijuana. They're looking for something to fill the gap instead of the Lord to fill the gap. They're crashing and burning. They're giving up on their faith. And I'm like, man, is that discouraging. And the Lord has said to me, you, son, be very, very steadfast. And he's repeated that to me. I've told you that story in church. 
We want to love Jesus with just as big a heart in the second 20 as we did in the first 20. And we want to see His kingdom done. And we want to see His will be done. Where? On earth. What part of earth are we? Mill Creek. On earth, in Mill Creek, as it is in heaven. Anybody with me? All right, let's pray. Father, this was fun. This was rich. This was good. This dog hunted. Because it's your heart. We know our culture. We know what we're up against. We don't have a bat to swing at it. We are absolutely perplexed and overwhelmed. But the great thing is we realize you aren't. And that you can stand in the gap for us just like you stood in the gap for the Thessalonians. It wasn't easy for them either. And Lord, we've had it amazingly well. When we're talking about things being hard, we, we have lived at the greatest era in the greatest country in the greatest moment of the world. It's been really good for us. And it's hard to go from good to bad. It's much easier to come from bad like our grandparents did, or in my case, my parents, my dad, came from the depression and came into good. That was a lot easier than going from good and going into bad. We're going to need something from you that we do not yet possess. And it's with that belief and that heart that we come into this campaign and we look to you, we, we are appealing to you to help us. And we're appealing to keep our eyes on you. Help us do that. Help us not be overwhelmed by the culture, but to keep our eyes on you. And we ask this in your name. Amen.